Oh, this is my favorite episode. Uh, times two. It's doubly good. Ingoal Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingoal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Welcome to episode 53. Or in my world, I call it episode 54. Because technically, we've already done this episode. Except one person on this call, on this connection, didn't record. So thus, we're doing it again. And boy, this should be a really good production from Ingle Radio, the podcast. Today, we're going to chat with uh, David Leggio, a minor leaguer, played in Europe, and he's very famous for a couple of different reasons, uh, one of which is how to properly defend a 2-on-0 and make a 2-on-0 into a one-on-one situation. You knock the net off. I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't, Google, press pause in the podcast, Google it, and then come back because it is a fascinating uh, interview and really gets into a lot of different things uh, about the uh, art of goaltending from a guy who had to work for every start uh, through the course of his professional career. And we will also catch up with Cam over at Source for Sports, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, the new line of equipment uh, is coming out, the launches of that uh, new line across the board. And today we're going to focus on the Bauer 2S Pro line. Uh, there's some good deals uh, over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Surrey. So uh, now that we've got the warm up out of the way, let's bring in Hutch and Woody. And I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Woody, you're famous for having the, uh, the warm up stick. And then you replace it in your men's league when you uh, when you're done with the pregame, and then you use the game stick. Do you have a warm up microphone, and then you uh, and then you use the show mic uh, when it's time to actually hit record and do this thing for real? Yeah, I might have might have been the problem. Eh, uh, I am the idiot, and in my defense, I did hit record. <laughs> um, I would like to point out that at various points over our first year of podcasting, other people have actually not hit record. Maybe maybe yes. I, maybe I did it once too. But um, the, the, the warm up, the warm up mic was not plugged in properly. <laughs> and so we wasted what I thought was probably my best material of the entire year. Just it, it doesn't exist anymore. It, Hours it went of into it. cyberspace. Yeah, it was just it was fantastic. So I'm an idiot. I made these guys work double duty. Um, and I apologize for that. But okay, hey, we get a second take. And uh, that means we get a second chance to be even better. It's a warm Hutch, up, guys. Was a Hutch, warm up. This, this one's going to be so good, you will hardly have to edit anything out of our conversation today. I think so, and Woody probably might be at a loss for words tonight. We'll see what happens. I'm going to be a lot quieter than yes, usual I because so. I feel it. I, you know, this is this is my version of playing guilty. Yeah. Uh, the couple of things that we did discuss, and uh, as sort of came out of the uh, the conversation that Hutch had with uh, David Leggio. Uh, was one about uh, his take on where coaches go with their starting netminders. Uh, how often do you start them in a row? What what constitutes a performance good enough to to start consecutive games? It's really interesting how he compares it to uh, position players and like stay a starting center just because you win a game. Does he start again, or if he has a bad game, does he take it, come out of the lineup? Uh, some some interesting angles on that, and uh, and also talked a little bit about. Um, the the ropes the rope drill and and what do you guys call it box by the way the, the tech box box control, control. Yes. and uh, so I was hearing box control uh, out of this uh, conversation between Hutch and Legio and I thought what the heck are they talking about and because I'm not as uh, in tune as as you guys as everybody knows so I did the googling and here it is the ropes that are out there and lo and behold like I remember. 
Pete Peters in the early 90s with the Winnipeg Jets doing this. And I mean, he was out, I don't know, between the blue line and the top of the circles with these things. Uh, and and now it's uh, it's so much more advanced, but still the same principle. Um, it's just interesting how how one really good idea uh, stands the test of time, although it's uh, tweaked a little bit, Hutch. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody out there listening saying the ropes are not box control. The ropes are a tool for teaching box control. Um, but okay, what's the what's the difference there? Just for my benefit. Well, the ropes are a tool for showing you uh, how you efficiently gain net coverage. Um, they're showing you in three dimensional space when you're covering the net behind you. Uh, the net behind you is is a lot larger than the surface that you need to cover in order to make sure that no pucks enter that net as a result of depth and angles and so on. Um, so they're they're just a fine tool for illustrating that for you aside tangible right in front of you rather than looking at video and, and so on as we, we did a bit of that today as well. We talked about that this morning, did it this afternoon uh, out on the ice with the iPad as well so that uh, so that the goaltender could actually see how they were covering space from from various places on the ice. And I thought it was interesting to hear Leggio talk about it. And and I got to say, Hutch, great job on the interview with David Leggio. I think a lot of us, you know, the headline, the focus will be what made him famous, which was the the two on oh and knocking the net off. But so much good in-depth information. And as you'll hear in the interview, he talks about learning it from uh, Yulon and the sort of Finnish godfather uh, when he was in Finland and Turco in 09-010. And I think the term box control came from Thomas Magnuson, who's, who we've had as a guest um, in Sweden and, and 2015. Uh, at the Network Goaltending Symposium uh, in 2015, we that phrase "box control" and sort of uh, that that's where it became popular. It was a good, it was more of a terminology thing and an evolution of the teaching of it as well. Not not because I don't want to be dismissive in any way of it, um, but we've seen it in various forms. I've worked with coaches who who used posts out in front of them. Um, you know, before that, we hear um, Leggio talking about using it five years earlier with Yelone and. Um, Connor Hellebuck talked about Connor Hellebuck talked about using it as a kid um, in you know when he was growing up he talked about this you know stopping closing off the small net in front of you instead of the big net behind you and actually using the little mini nets in minor hockey as a way to sort of illustrate and understand again develop that spatial awareness that we don't have to worry about the six by four behind us because it can it in order to get past us it has to come through this much smaller space this smaller net this smaller box in front of us and it's a lot easier to think about closing that off than it is to think about opening up and and trying to protect this giant space behind us so it's been a fascinating evolution obviously there's technical elements that have come to how do we close it um like i said the posts i saw I remember Lyle Mast working with the posts like probably 7 or 8 years ago um, and the concept of head trajectory and how if we track a puck a certain way in terms of the mechanics, they will actually, of our head and how we move it, allow us to see a release longer, but also the way we move it will cause our body to move into that space as opposed to old school reaching for pucks and opening up the net and, and opening up space. And, and the interesting part about the evolution is uh, I, people have used mirrors out there so, so goaltenders can get real-time feedback, but the the advancements in in the cameras and uh, the iPads, uh, you flip it around and you get the the goaltender gets to look to see how much net he's covering. 
it's just been uh, helped just elevate that drill and give the goaltenders the the feedback instead of uh, just trusting those ropes and and going with the concept. So it's um, I've uh, I've enjoyed the uh, the process and through this David Leggio interview, uh, learning what box control uh, is and the, the the slight differences that you guys have uh, also explained. And you're right, uh, Woody. It was a really cool interview that that Hutch did. It's and you also gave Leggio a real teacher's uh, compliment, talking about uh, who was it that was a former teacher. That uh, oh, one that of his a, oh, uh, Sudzy, 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 yeah. And then you said, yeah, that teaching background really comes in handy. I'm like, you son of a gun, <laughs> coming at it from the uh, educational Might background have done and, that, yeah. and giving yourself a pat in the back. But yeah, it was a it was a it was a fun interview. Uh, David Leggio is coming up in in just a little bit as we uh, chat about uh, his famous display of knocking the net off something that he did twice one gained him internet fame and the other one caught him in a lot of hot water with the german league and uh and there's some regret uh, in his voice in those answers uh we'll get into that in just a little bit but uh sorcerer sports surrey the hockey shop the hockey shop.com our title sponsor and uh some big uh, things happening out with cam right now hutch and woody Ah, yeah, it was nice to get back out there. We've kind of turned the gear segment over to other other avenues of late. Had some guest appearances on the gear segment. We did the questions with Cam a couple of times, but back out there in person. And the first thing I noticed is as they prepare to bring in all the latest and greatest for the spring launches, Bauer, Ultrasonic, CCM, Axis, that means it's time to put the previous generation on sale and the one that really popped out and we're going to talk about in this gear segment uh, out at the hockey shop a source for sports in surrey was the bauer 2s pro line and the two models below that the s29 the senior retail model and the s27 all three on sale great savings on all three we've we've done some testing on it in addition to our regular testing at ingle where we did a, a preview and a review of the 2s pro line and of course, here at Ingle, we make sure we get it in the hands of everyone from beer leaguers to youth hockey players to junior A and major junior kids. And we tested the crap out of that Bauer 2S Pro line. But then when we got through sort of that five-month cycle of testing with multiple people, we kept it on the ice for the past two years almost now on a every week basis, three to five times ice times, and really put it through the ringer, and it's really held up. The durability's been impressive for us. So this is an opportunity now as they get to in- set to introduce the next generation of Supreme to have big savings on that last line as they clear it out at the hockey shop, Source of Sports, and thehockeyshop.com. Um, so definitely over the next couple of months, make sure you check them out online for savings on the previous generations as they load up on the new stuff. And it Gives us a perfect opportunity to have Cam sort of break down some of the differences between the three different price points and some of the savings on this week's gear segment. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports out here in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia, outskirts of Vancouver. We're back in the basement of what I call a goalie heaven with Cam Matwiv. Um, we're going to talk a little sale item. As much as we're all getting excited, Cam, about the impending new lines, including we're starting to see it now in the NHL. We've had some pictures up, obviously, at the social media um, for In Goal Magazine. We've got our own set coming, the new Bauer Ultrasonic, which will replace the Bauer Supreme 2S line, sort of the, the next step in the Supreme family for Bauer. 
before we're just going to leave that teased for now. But because that's coming, it's sale time on the Supreme line that preceded it. The Bauer 2S Pro line, uh, the Bauer S29, S27. You've got some deals here. So let's first walk through the price points and then we'll walk through the line. Because I think a lot of us know about the 2S Pro line. We did our reviews. We've still got guys playing in it. The durability factor has been excellent. Not a lot of talk in that generation about the two lower price point pads. So first off, how much are we going to save right now? And then we'll go through the lines. Okay, so right now we're going to be looking at the uh, S29 in particular. Uh, they're on sale for 200 bucks off um, in the senior model. So uh, we're on sale for 799 so 800 bucks. It's a regularly 999 pad. So $1,000 pad down to 800 bucks, And that's on the S29 model. First of all, let's, let's go to the granddaddy. Let's go to the, the 2S Pro. What, what's the sale prices? That's normally a $2,000 pad. Right now at the Hockey Shop, source for sports, hockeyshop.com. You are sitting at $1,599.99, so 1600 bucks. So 400 bucks off the Bauer 2S Pro, and that's a pad that, like I said, we've done a review on. We still continue to play in, in that pad at Ingle Magazine and have had a lot of success in, in terms of the performance of the pad has been maintained. Uh, we talked during the review about the knee block being more stable in relation to the face of the pad. They added the stitching there. That's held up over time. Um, glove blocker still rebounds absolutely flying off the pads, absolutely flying off the blocker, which which is what we love. And the glove's been really durable. So um, you can get all those now on sale at thehockeyshop.com. As Cam said, $1,600 for the regularly priced $2,000 Bauer 2S Pro. If you like it, stock up on it. Uh, now let's go to the next line, the S29. You, you mentioned the savings. What are the key differences here? Because obviously at, at Ingle, we've got the 2X, last year's model, the 2X Pro, the, the next price point down is actually being tested right now by, for us by a, a major Bantam goalie. And again, a lot of the same feedback, very positive. Um, we saw that it, it maintains that sliding surface that everyone loves, the Cortex sliding surface on the inside edge. doesn't have the Cortex face. Is that the same with the S29, which is the the Supreme line next step down. That, that's correct. You see it, almost a lot of those same features that you find on the 2X and also I would say subtractions necessarily, but uh, um, leave outs to make it, you know, price where it needs to be. That said, um, it's a great option. It, it honestly, we were surprised it didn't do as well as it did. It kind of flew a little bit under the radar, I would say. But uh, that a, means you have leftovers. That's a good thing for people looking to save now. Exactly, exactly. So if you want... Um, if, and that's kind of your key that you're looking for, um, the S29, like one of the biggest features that it does have that, uh, the Cortex slide surface. So you're going to be ripping around the same way you would be if you were going to be wearing one of those two S pads. Um, the core, uh, isn't obviously the exact same as what the two S this has a bit more of a pre-curve to it as well. Um, in comparison to the pro pad, um, but still, still a nice thin profile, Correct. doesn't have the Cortex skin on the face, doesn't have the curve composite in it. So Rebounds aren't like it's not going to be as stiff, but it's still a, a thin, stiff profile pad. So they're still going to pop off there. Maybe not like a, a like a like the pro version, but still a more active rebound overall. Correct, correct. Uh, great looking face to the pad. Graphics actually stitched onto as well as instead of being uh, screen printed. Um, just give it a nice, rich look to it. So um, an awesome option if you're in the market for a new set of pads. And on the glove and blocker side, uh, what are the price point differences right now in terms of the sale on the S29 line? Again, for, for those just tuning in, as they say, 
This is the Bauer 2S Pro, the next step down, the senior model of it, the S29, which is on sale now at thehockeyshop.com, the hockey shop source for sports. Um, what are the price points on the blocker glove? Uh, so you're going to be looking at 260 for, or two. He can't read his own writing, folks. <laughs> there we go. Got it out. And then the blocker would be uh, 240 All right. So you're basically looking at around 15, under $1,500 for a complete set right now of the S29. I had a look at the glove and blocker. Very similar feel to our 2S Pro line. The key difference is obviously no pour on in the glove. That's correct. In terms of the materials just being a little bit less. You don't have the curved composite uh, in there as well on the blocker or in the glove. And just a little, you know, more sort of standard um, surface in terms of um, the grip on the inside. It doesn't have that sort of that, that, that grippy surface that comes in the Pro. But all in all, a really good pad. What about the S27, an even lower price point? What are some of the savings there and some of the options? Uh, in terms of savings, I mean, for a senior set of pads, uh, you're going to be looking at five sixty uh, for a set of pads, and then the glove and blocker, uh, you would be at, I believe, it's one eighty four, and then one sixty for the blocker. So I'm going to put you on the spot here because math is a big thing. Can you add that up and tell me what a complete set comes to now, Cam? Uh, uh, hold on, let me pull out my Carry phone. Carry the two. Carry the two. <laughs> you're going to beat me to it here, so. I'm not even thinking about this. I'm totally relying on you. You are 100% on the spot here. This oh, is a test and you're oh, you got so your next salary will base on your ability to add this up. <laughs> oh, you caught me right on the top of my head. Uh, the first viewer to, to hand it out to me gets a gold star here. All right. So just call Cam. He'll get you your discount price on those two items. Like we said, we're into that time of year where the new stock is coming. The new Bauer models that we've teased on, on Instagram that you've seen. Uh, James Reimer wearing in the NHL. We're starting to see it around the, the league. The new ultrasonic pads. Ben Bishop had a set at the Winter Classic, the outdoor game. Um, as we see that come in, that means it's time at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com to clear out the old stuff. We're starting with the Supreme line. Bauer 2S Pro on sale. S29 on sale. S27 on sale. Make sure you check them out. They will go fast. Um, as Cam said, probably flew under the radar. We did a. We were kind of all over promoting the 2X Pro and the, and the lower price points there and what great features they had, and they sold quite well. A lot of those features are in this pad as well. So get on it before it's gone. Uh, great opportunity to, to own a really high quality gear that'll, that'll get you through, whether you're, whether you're a beer leaguer or whether you're playing uh, you know, at the youth level and coming up. Like you said, we got it in Major Bantam right now being tested. More than halfway through a season, these kids are on the ice five times a week. No problems. Durability holding up, performance holding up. Um, this pad is cut from the same cloth, so to speak, and an opportunity to get a complete set. Pads, glove, and blocker for under $1,500. And that's Canadian. That's correct. That's Canadian. So good deals to be had at thehockeyshop.com. Make sure you check them out online at thehockeyshop.com because you're going to see more sales like this start in the coming months into February, into March, and into those new launches in April. Cam, thanks very much for breaking down this line for us and the sales. And if anybody has any questions, where can they get a hold of you and ask for you in person? Uh, at the Hawk Shop, or you can give me a call at 604-589-8299. Perfect. Cam, thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's like a glove hearing Woody and Cam chatting about gear again and Woody putting him on the spot with prices and math and it's just it's awesome he Dude, must just love you 
Yeah, the, yeah, he really loved me putting him on the spot with the math there. The problem was he <laughs> he'd written down the prices, but I couldn't read his chicken scratcher. I would have done the I would have done the math for him and bailed him out, but I couldn't read his writing. So the good news is, folks, when you call him at the hockey shop or check it out at thehockeyshop.com, those prices are all sort of listed there, and you don't have to worry about doing any math because Cam has a calculator handy and a computer in front of him, so he'll be able to figure it out for him. Don't worry. And if he can't figure it out, I figure you just get the savings because if the math is wrong, just take the lower price and that's what you get. <laughs> uh, sizes, colors, setups, uh, either call them at uh, the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, or go online at thehockeyshop.com and uh, it's, it's, it's all there for you. I'm, I'm on that website once a week and uh, it's just I just find myself perusing different things. What do you think of the glove? Do you guys? Because uh, I, I kind of uh, like it. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I we're big fans of uh, now. If you if you happen to like that, it's sort of the CCM equivalent would be the six hundred break. Um, kind of closes like a Vaughn, the old Vaughn fifty five hundred model. Yes, um, a lot of sort of. I think of it. A lot of people used to sort of describe it as almost like a first baseman's mitt. It's a little more sort of the tip of your finger and index finger into the tip of your glove as opposed to the the fingers pulling into the palm or into the base of your thumb. So a little more finger closure on that glove. Uh, to me, that was a big step for Bauer. Uh, that glove was a, a notable improvement in past models. Take a little longer to break in than than some other some other brands, but once we got it there, um, again, it sort of held firm. It's got the curved composite in it at the pro level. It's got the pour on in there, so lots of protection. Uh, it's really held its shape nicely. As, as much as it that firmness made it took a little longer to break in, it has held that shape nicely. Love the blocker. Um, just much like the pads, pucks rocket off it uh, with the curved composite and sort of the stiffness of it. And we've talked to guys like Craig Anderson. He switched over to the Bauer this year, different model, but same principles in the blocker. And like he said, you know, the ability to sort of turn his wrist and make and know that that puck is going all the way up over the boards and out of play if he needs a whistle. Um, there's definitely some benefit there. So uh, if you go into the lower price points, the S29, I think. Bauer, we're testing the 2X version of this, the, 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 the next price point down. You don't get uh, the same material on the face of the pad, so the rebounds might not be quite as crisp, um, but they're still a firm rebound. You do get the same material on the inside edge, and that's where that sliding comes from, that core. Oh, good point. That cortex. So even though you're not buying the highest price point model, you still get that sort of active sliding and that firm service that really creates a you know, like, frankly, some of the best sliding around. Like it, it, to me, if you compare all the different surfaces, anecdotally, still the Bauer one is the one that seems to have the least friction. Not everybody loves that. Some people want a little more resistance, um, but it's kind of nice that you can get that at the second price point. And, you know, if you're interested in these, I suggest you contact Camp at the hockey shop pretty quick. They've got a pretty good inventory left over, um, but I don't expect it to last at those prices. That S29, the glove has the same feel as the Pro model. Just no curve composite and no pour on, but you can get a complete set for about thirteen hundred Canadian plus taxes of that S twenty nine model. What? Well, I mean, thousand dollar pad, two hundred dollars off is eight hundred, and the the pad, the glove and blocker right now with the discount prices are five hundred. So you, I don't even have to be cam; I can add eight hundred and five hundred and get thirteen hundred. Not bad. That's Woody. unbelievable. Yeah. Really good. Unbelievable that and, I can do good, math. And it's a good deal too, but but really good math. But that's that's an <laughs> unbelievable deal. Especially wow. for you Americans, Darren. Um, we got to be a little uh, careful there, Hutch. I'm not sure they can ship that one across the border. Oh, that's right. Thanks to the restrictions of the Bauer and CCM and uh, no cross-border shipping. But yeah. 
But you could just contact me, pay me a little bump. I'll drive it across the border for you. I live in a border town. <laughs> okay. We'll, uh, we'll do. I, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm not messing around with anything immigration issue. No, don't, <laughs> I'm, don't I'm, I'm fool fine. around. I will, I will pay. I will uh, pay. Uh, for the okay. people at the border, I do have Nexus, and uh, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. The gl- glove is w- the one thing that uh, that last few years I've used uh, probably a one or two year old glove, and because uh, we all like the newest and the greatest, of course. But the gloves uh, is something that, that I haven't had a trouble uh, using a, a couple of year old model. Hmm. Uh, that's just me. Uh, what about the uh, CCM line? That's coming out too. Yeah, I was just going to say as uh, as they were talking about Bauer, it turns out that uh, we've had CCM's new Axis line on on the ice now for a little over a week. Uh, it's had some test sessions at beer league, minor hockey, triple A, uh, even junior A, um, over the last little week. And, uh, so far feedback is, is fantastic. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, my son is, is one of the major tester of this set right now. And, and, uh, he was very skeptical going in. In fact, I, I resisted, uh, CCM sending it along a little bit cause he's a, uh, tried and true eflex man and uh he put these on and he loved them the first time he wore them and didn't want to take them off so uh really really good sign for us um with that line so expected didn't he shovel snow in them too yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we had our first we had our first test session set up and uh then i'm bc one of the warmest parts of the country was uh hammered with a snowstorm for a few days there and we couldn't get to the rink for practice that day well we could get to the rink practices were canceled that day uh, so we just decided we'd have a little fun and do a bit of a photo shoot. We, we posted one photo that, uh, hockey Canada picked up and put up on their account, uh, of Maddie shoveling out in the, uh, the driveway. And, uh, we've got several more that will be coming out, uh, early next week when, when CCM allows publication. Of there was a nice photos. Turco grip on, on I, the backhand and, with the shovel. I know. And that was all him. I didn't set up any of that. So it was pretty cool. I just brought my camera outside and he decided to have some fun. So that was, that was pure Maddie. It was great. His character. And that before you send your angry emails to Hutch about the massive snowstorm, if you happen to be from the Maritimes, uh, that, that, that footer, we know it wasn't mm-hmm. a massive snowstorm, but for us, Southwest coasters, that's, that's, that's by our standards, that's massive to the rest no, of Canada. Yeah. Like the rest of Canada, we get it. We're a joke. You yeah. can laugh at us, but just don't bug us with the complaint email. No, it, <laughs> it, it was it was it was a legit West Coast snowstorm. Uh, the army was not called in. The best line that I heard from uh, from Atlanta, Canada, and what happened to St. John's is the with the army being called in, they can't make fun of Toronto anymore uh, because when the army was was called in there in uh, 1999, I was there for that one. It was it was nasty, but still didn't require the army to to be called in. Um, uh, that uh, that Turco grip, uh, I, it's just strange how you pick up on certain things and 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 you watch that. Was that the the game stick though that that uh, young Maddie was using? Uh, that um, the gate that was the game shoveling stick. Yeah, we'd had a practice okay, shovel going on before that, yeah. but uh, you know this was the real deal for the camera, so we had to pull out the game shovel for sure. Wait, you guys don't have two shovels either? Uh, I said no, we do. We had shovel. we had the practice shovel out before. Yeah, no problem. Did, yeah, there's, did, a lot of, there's, did, a, there's a lot of stuff being shoveled here right now. <laughs> yeah, you, this may surprise you, but uh, but I left my shovels at home uh, when I moved to Nevada. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just if if I need one, I'll just go out and and, and purchase one. But uh, Woody, um, you broke your game stick, so uh, we should pause and just have a moment here uh, because you had to use your your warm up stick in an actual game, and I 
I just can't imagine how much of a, a challenge that was for you to adjust. I, I did manage to pull it off, though. I'm pleased to report that. And because I had my warm-up stick, as you guys are so fond of calling it, or as I just call it, a second stick at the game, when I... No, 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 when no, there, no, when no, there, no. When there no, was a pile-up... You use up, a stick in warm-up, you use a stick in warm-up, and then you change sticks and use a different stick in the game. Okay. That's not taking two sticks to a game and just using one. That's having a warm-up stick and a game stick in men's league hockey. That's because I know how precious my E-Flex 4 stick was. I fell in love with that twig, and I never wanted it to break, so I didn't use it in warm-ups. I didn't want it to get broken. We've been over this, boys, and now that it's broken, I'm quite sad. I like that stick so much that I actually went to the hockey shop to buy my own, and obviously here at Engol, we get a fair amount of gear. We don't usually have to go purchase, and clearly, I'm not the only one that likes that stick because Cam was freaking sold out. Wow, really? livid he had one I get it though that's a great twig 126 inch paddle left it was a price pattern which i can live with not my preferred but i could live with it but it was in red and i'm a total prima donna red doesn't match my team colors can't go that no, way you didn't buy it of course i didn't buy it it was red you are a beauty i'm a total oh diva my. I knew you guys would have a field day with that and i knew i shouldn't have admitted it out loud oh, but it's true that's worth re-recording this podcast right there that's that's absolutely Just, it i wanted to i wanted to bring a little extra to you guys to make your night after totally screwing it up wow uh you know he does Wo- not Woody, buy the not, stick you're not even tall enough for a 26 anyway woody yeah who are you kidding uh david leggio is uh not the tallest goaltender in uh, professional hockey just shy of six feet and he parlayed a, a good college career into a really good uh, professional run in both North America and Europe. But he's most famous for what he did while facing a 2-on-0 after he looked down at a 3-on-0 by the Russian team. Uh, it's, it's a long, sordid story. But as Woody alluded to earlier, it may have made him famous, but there's so much below the surface for David Leggio. Here is our feature interview presented by Source for Sports, The Hockey Shop, and thehockeyshop.com. David Leggio in conversation with David Hutchison. So he's won a championship with Clarkson University, where he earned the league's top goalie award. He's been an American League starter. He's twice represented his country at the World Championships and at the 2018 Olympics in South Korea. He's won a Finnish League championship, a German League championship. Oh, and, and you might know him because two leagues changed the rules as a result of, shall we say, his uh, creative play. But, uh, but more on that later. Uh, David Leggio, welcome to Ingle Radio. Thank you for having me. And sometimes I'll, I'll start, you know, my introduction is you might know me from such, such YouTube clips as, you know. So yeah, that's <laughs> fun. Thank you for that intro and thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I felt a little reluctant to talk. Didn't even know if you'd be comfortable talking about it until I went to your Twitter profile and I saw that you put in there that you're a net tipper or something like that. So yeah, I, so great to be able to talk I about that I took that off for a while, and especially in the German League, they, they got mad. But, um, you know, I, I did it just to help my team win a game, and, and now I'm not in the German League. So, you know, I think, it, <laughs> you know, you can have fun with it. It's over, and, and you know, the, that's, that's it. It's done. Well, well, let's save the fun stuff for, for last, and let's start at the beginning where we do with uh, mo- most goaltenders. And the question is uh, – how did you end up a goaltender? What's your origin story? So many people have a common one, you know, little brother attracted by the gear, whatever it might be. How, how'd you get in the net? 
Yeah, it's kind of a culmination of all that. Um, well, first off, I grew up, my, my grandfather on my mom's side was Russian. So when I grew up, my favorite player was Alexander McGillney and, and Pat LaFontaine growing up in Buffalo, New York. And uh, as, as like a mite or, a, you know, house five, six, seven-year-old, I was playing forward and I was a goal hanger. So I was the complete opposite of, of what I turned into. And in the neighborhood, I had two older cousins, two years and four years older. So whenever they asked me to play hockey, I had to start in goal. That was the deal. Like you could start you as go. a goalie, and then halfway through, you could play forward. And sometimes halfway through never happened. But, you know, I, I wasn't really afraid of the ball at that time. And, I mean, looking back, you know, nowadays I think if kids are playing street hockey, if my son's going to go out and play street hockey, I'd probably put a, a helmet on the goalie. I mean, we're taking clappers with the frozen tennis ball in the street and, you know, in the face. I remember I hit once in the lip uh, and I had a, like a, a travel game uh, when I was in Bantams. My lip was exploded. My coach was like, what are you doing? Oh, no. But anyway, so <laughs> I, I went to um, I went to tryouts for the, the might travel team and we didn't have a goalie for the tryout. And my dad wasn't there. My mom took me, which was rare. My dad always, always went. And I played goalies because, like, I don't know, I was a dumb kid. I just didn't know. It was a tryout, maybe. Who, who knows? So I played goalie, and they're like, all right, you made the team as a goalie. And I was like, well, yeah, because no one else tried out. So I go home, I told my dad, yeah, I made the team. He's like, oh, defense or forward? Because I did play a little D, of course. Everyone plays different positions. Yep. And um, it's a goalie. And I think his jaw hit the floor. You could see the dollar bills flying out of his, his pants uh, as we spoke. So <laughs> no doubt. So that's how I got into it. But uh, I just loved the game, it, whether it was goalie or forward. I still would play roller hockey in the summer as a forward and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so that's how I got going. So does that roller hockey in the summer up to what age did that continue? And did that help you as a goaltender? I think it did. Uh, really, I don't think it ever really stopped. I mean, it kind of like roller or street hockey in the summer probably stopped. Like when, the, you know, maybe like college when, when guys stopped doing that you know you getting jobs or whatever i would play men's league mm -hmm. in the summer as, as as a forward um actually in high school i played two games forward for my high school team and i scored a couple goals great great passes for my buddies um mm -hmm. more tappings than anything but um i think it did i think i think it did help quite a bit i just i don't know and when i watched the game like i know talking to some goalie coaches and stuff like we would watch the game and they'd be watching the goalie. And I, I, I would always watch the goalie, but I'd more watch the play develop and especially shootouts and, and breakaways and stuff. But I always try to watch what the guys are doing and kind of what their intentions are and stuff. But definitely playing a bit of hockey as a forward helped with all that. We've, we've sort of alluded to it already. And you're talking about your parents and, and offline before we talked about goalie coaching, but, but uh, who did support your development growing up, both from a coaching and, and obviously on the home front standpoint. Home front standpoint, definitely my parents, like middle class, lower middle class family, two of the hardest working people you'd ever meet and uh, two people that would, you know, put their kids ahead of themselves at any moment. Um, so that that was probably my, my biggest, uh, you know, idols growing up. I, and as far as coaching, you know, we didn't have really goalie coaching in Buffalo at that time. I'm 35. Um, some, you know, we have a great amount now, which is great. Some great options for the guys coming up. So in the summer, I think, I think I went to some different camps, you know, uh, Sabres camp, Pella Fontaine's camp, and I worked with somebody. But then going to my minor PU year, I went to John Elkins camp in Toronto. So I, I did that for um, I did that for a week every summer. And then when I finally got to Clarkson University, 
after my freshman year, a guy on my team referred me to uh, Sedaris and Maharaj, who's now the head goalie coach. Oh, yeah. Sudzy. Sudzy. And Sudzy was an absolute game changer for me where, you know, you go to – and I never had goalie coaches during the year, like ever. And maybe an occasional guy would come and help out here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But I never had, like, that tutelage. So, basically, I would, I would take whatever I learned that week at Elkins – and then try to learn on my own and try to just apply what I learned that week to my practice. And I worked very hard. And that's something that John's camp really taught me was to work extremely hard. So that was kind of my MO for a while. But working with Sudzy was a huge game changer. Just the way he thinks the game, I think he's, he's an absolute genius. And um, so I, I saw him for several summers. I would say probably around the time I started playing in Germany, that kind of stopped. And when we tried to connect, with his schedule in mind, we never were able to get back together. We still stay in touch to this day. And then aside of that, I had some amazing goalie coaches throughout my pro year. So that would start with um, going over to Turku with uh, Urpo Yelonen, uh, Upi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you guys talked about him a little bit with Definitely, Kip- yep. Kiprasov and Ninamaki and all these guys. Like, So he, he completely changed how I looked at the game especially with hands and, and angles. And, and he was the first guy that introduced me to box control or whatever you would call it. And then worked with Jim Corsi in Buffalo, who was great, especially on the mental side. Uh, Bob Janos in Rochester, who was a Buffalo guy. So we would work together throughout my career as well in the offseason, even after I left Buffalo. Um, Scotty Murray, when I was in Hershey, he was a Washington now. Um, we still stay in touch. Yeah. A phenomenal guy. Um, and then going to Munich, uh, working with Patrick Dallaire, who really helped me with post play and, and kind of kind of changed my game to the European style, which is kind of how it's played now with a little more East West. I had to, I had to bring in my aggressiveness a bit. And while I was with Patrick, actually Francois Allaire came and worked with us for a week. So I've been blessed with in-season goalie coaches. And I don't think it's really a coincidence that some of the years where I didn't have a guy the whole year, I had maybe more ups and downs than, than the years where I had uh, Bob or Patrick or Scotty. So, you know, I'm rambling a little bit, but once I got to pro, I was really lucky. And obviously, when I was still at Clarkson working with Sudsy in the summer, but to have somebody helping you throughout the whole year and to be a little bit of a soundboard at times, too, because I was a bit fiery for a large part of my career. But, uh, yeah, I was lucky to have those guys. Takes a village to raise a goaltender. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah. Especially a guy yeah, like me. Wow. Where, where to even start peeling that back? We've heard uh, <laughs> so many great things about Sudsy. And uh, he actually wrote a couple of articles for us way back when we first got it started, more on the history of the game than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so what is it about him that helped change you so much? And, and can you give us an example of what a session like him is, how it's different? The first thing I, had, I could say, and I actually recently called him to ask him, because I've been doing goalie coaching for a while myself, but nobody gets their point across more clear than Sudsy. So he has a teaching background as well. Um, it's like, you know, the, 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 what, the, when, and the why in three sentences, you know, like that dialogue is so incredibly efficient when you're on the ice. So like, you know, for example, you need to go to the post here because of this, this, and this. And like, you don't even have a question in your mind. You're like, okay, that makes sense. And just the way he breaks it down, it, it's simple. It's complex, but it's simple. At the same time, um, at that time in my career, again, I was over-aggressive. That um, was always kind of a, a, a trait where I walked the line. We were just talking about going from my sophomore year of college where I was like, oh, just became a starter, 9-1-3 maybe, 
to my junior year mm -hmm. where I had my best year, you know, ECAC and, and um, championship and, and first team, 930. And just basically just, just using the post, staying inside the post, making sure that, you know, there's no open nets. And that was once very, like, it's, it's a simple thing, but at the time, big thing. But, but stuff with the hands, like hands forward. He was one of the first guys that really taught me about getting your hands forward over the puck. Um, you know, I was way more handsy back then. So he, he would have taught me a little bit differently than some other guys. I remember skating with Scott Wedgwood back then where Scott was going, you know, more with his body and I would, I would lead more with my hands. Like, cause he's able to, he's worked with such a wide range of goaltenders that he's able to teach. He doesn't have one way, you know, he, like most good goalie coaches, they don't have one way. So, you know, it's, it's tough to go back because the game's evolved so much since we really worked together a lot. But um, I think it's the way you guys point across to, to sum it up was, was just so efficient and so clear that you never had any question and you're able to carry that on and know exactly when or, or why to implement. I think that teaching background has got to be huge yeah. uh, to be a great communicator. So, so, and talking about school then, so you went, you went on to uh, Clarkson University and What's that process like where you go from being a minor hockey player to, to going into university? We often talk about what's it like at university, but can you tell us a bit about how you, you came to choose Clarkson and, and what that whole thing was like? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was pretty, it, it was easy. It wasn't, um, I grew up, Todd Marchant's dad was my coach in Pee Wee and always remained, you know, in touch with them. And, and at that time, again, like not a lot of internet going on, there's no internet going on. We didn't really know a lot of universities, mm -hmm. you know? So Clarkson was instantly on my radar. Went junior, played two years junior in the EJHL for the CD selects, uh, same team that Scott Darling played for after I was there. Um, and uh, I didn't have any scholarship offers. Like I, I had army and I had a couple of lower D one teams that had some interest. And then I had a bunch of D three. So Sean Weller was a guy on my team, a third rounder to Ottawa, my junior team, and they had him committed already. So they were at my games more um, and basically talked to him into taking me as a recruit to walk on. So the process was difficult for me. Like I got there and my first, you know, like the captain's practices before the coaches get on the ice, I didn't stop a puck. Like I, I, I wasn't even sure if I was going to make the team. And then even the assistant coach was a phenomenal guy. I had asked about gear like a dumb kid. Mm -hmm. I wanted to stick with my name on it. <laughs> and he's like, well, you should make the team first. And I was like, yeah, I should. Okay. So not a bad idea. I had to start, I had to really adjust to that level. And, um, but at the same time, um, that was the first time I had access to ice, like at any time. So me and my classmates, you know, really awesome class. Grant Klitzman ended up playing a long time in the NHL. Steve Zaleski played some games, Sean Weller had a long career. And we would go on the ice before every practice, 30, 45 minutes, do goalie or scoring drills, practice, and I was the third or second goalie the whole year, but the starter didn't like to take a lot of shots in practice. So I got tons of shots in practice. Then would stay on and do more shots. So that was a real big acceleration where I only started two games that year and played five, but I, I probably quadrupled my practice time and in, in that season alone. And from what I did any other year, and then obviously the quality was a thousand times better. So, so I really need to like make that adjustment as a recruit to walk on and then have a chance to compete as a sophomore for the starting job. Some good advice in there for kids, I think, from your experience as you're, as they struggle going through. Yeah. I mean, you could use every cliche you want, you know, like about the journey and the process and all that. I mean, working with athletes now, you know, that you can't put a timeline on it. You know, I, I felt like I was close at that time. I just, I, I wanted to play so bad. And um, I think my parents gave me like that mindset 
you know, it kind of a, a big chip on my shoulder the majority of my career, um, if not all of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you just you just gotta find a way. And, and if you want it more than other other guys or girls, um, you know, there's a good chance you're gonna get it. You know, at some point, it just might take longer than you want, but you know, you're gonna get to to where you want to be. We talked a little bit about technique. Talked a little bit about some changes in your game. Uh, I think you're listed at five foot eleven. Not the largest goaltender on the planet these days. Um, how, how did that affect you, and how did you deal with that? It's interesting because you described yourself as a over aggressive goaltender in the start, and that all got reeled in. Mm-hmm. Um, are you able to Are you able to make a balance there with your size and aggressiveness and control? And how do you do that? And 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 how did you evolve as a goaltender? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little closer to six feet, but that's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter now. But uh, sorry, your hockey height is six feet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that when I went to Finland, that was the first time that that Upi introduced the ropes to me. You know, like the the box yeah. control. That's where I really learned to optimize my positioning, and you learn like the law of diminishing returns. And at that time, I mean, guys would kind of come down the wing and just blast it. You know, so. Even in Finland, I would, I would play like two feet out of the crease. I mean, I've watched mo- – I see random clips from college where I'm like two or three feet out of the crease. Where now, you know, I would be heels at the top maybe and then rely a little mm-hmm. bit more on shifting and, and tracking. So um, – and then Upi taught me a lot about hands and catching more pucks. And I always kind of had my fingers up. I didn't really understand why I dropped low pucks. And then teaches you about neutral wrist position, and, and that's getting technical. But um, – yeah, so that's oh, a goalie audience. You can get a second yeah, as you want. Yeah, we can. <laughs> uh, and, and going back like with Sudzy, like just talking about hip positioning, how to rotate your hips, how, how to what position to get your blade in when you're when you're rotating and, and pivoting. Um, you know, stance width, keeping that width, keeping balance, um, and uh, even like your blade. You know, if your skate blade's too high in the front, you know you're gonna have to overcompensate with rotation. If, if you know it's too, it's like a millimeter higher on, on the front part of your skate than your back, you have to overcompensate or, you know, little things like that. Or, but, but how I evolved was that I think I just became more and more conservative with my positioning and, and probably more and more conservative, conservative with, with my movements. Um, and that was probably as indicative of, of the game, where the game's gone, where mm-hmm. I was just watching some clips a couple of days ago, um, Braden Holtby and, and, and some of the saves he's making where it's like, East, West, East, West, East, West, middle. And then a shot from the hash marks. Like I didn't really happen like eight or nine years ago, you know? So, and that's where like that patience and shifting comes in. Definitely becoming more and more and more patient as time went on, especially we did a lot of shifting work um, in uh, Munich with Pat Delaire. We did a lot of more, you know, I don't know what you would call it, down tracking or, or just tracking with your head, which is what I really like to teach. Just keeping your head on the puck, letting the head dictate your, your, uh, your rotation when to go and how much to go. Um, so that would be it. I, th- I think just over time I get more and more conservative where it helped me in the American league be a little bit more aggressive because of my size. Um, and I was learning how to blend what I learned in Finland where, you know, there's a little bit of like, um, you know, like that, that telescoping a little bit of that drifting, you know, maybe a, a mm-hmm. pass to the slot and I wouldn't, I wouldn't grab my edges super quick, but now like that pass to the slide it could be another pass so if i did that now i'd probably get toasted you know more times than not so just have to learn to you know play a little more on the crease now and that's what i learned to do and definitely learn to use my post a ton i use the post towards the end of my career a ton just 
on recoveries or just a lot more reverse um, where, you know, I used to use a VH a lot because of my size, but yeah, I mean, another long one wanted to answer, but the game has just become, it's become so fast and so East West. Like you have to have feet, you know, I, I think everyone likes the big goalie, but you see the big goalies in the NHL now they can move. If you can't move nowadays, you really can't play. If anything, some of the rule changes with the pads, I think have, have helped people because you can move better and, that's why you see so many good goalies in the NHL now. They can move, and, and they're big, and they're athletic. So it's, it's fun to watch. Wow. I think we could have uh, – we could talk for days about all that technical stuff. We, it's too bad we can't get into it, but may, maybe there would be some future articles on Ingle we could do together. I, I love listening to all of that. So you went from Clarkson. You went to, to pro hockey and several years in the American League. And, and I was just looking through, and there's a lot of names you played with there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Glass, Brian Elliott, Ray Emery, Jonas Enroth, uh, Grubauer, Neuwirth, McKenna, Deming, um, and uh, Hudobin. Hudobin. Good, good season with him in the East Coast. Yeah. That's so right. so who, who are some of the characters that, that you enjoyed working with, and are, are you still in touch with anybody? I'm trying to think if you forgot anybody. Um, Grubauer. Kevin Poulin, even. Oh, I got a few more. Kevin Poulin and Bridge yeah. before, yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I actually just left yoga. I just ran into Jonas at yoga here in Buffalo. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so it was good to see him. Um, who uh, Connor Knapp was, an, I mean, not as big of a name as some of those guys, but I just talked to him on the phone yesterday. But um, I got along with, with, with pretty much all of my partners, which was phenomenal. And actually, another name I'll throw out there was our third goalie for TPS was Yoni Ortio who had some time. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I saw that too. Yeah. That was a fun, that was, I mean, we had me, him and Atia Engren, who was a pretty good prospect to play in the American league for a year, but um, no, that competition was phenomenal. Like to be in the coast with Anton, it was like, mm-hmm. all right. I mean, I think one month he was goalie of the month and then, I, then the next month I was or, or vice versa. Um, we lived together for a little while. I seen him at the world championships in Minsk in 2014. And, and I was, Tim Thomas was our goalie. I guess we'll actually put Tim Thomas on the list there too. Connor, There's another one, yeah. <laughs> Connor Hellebuck was our, our another goalie that was there that year. And in 2010, it was uh, Bishop and Clemenson. And Clemenson, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life. Um, not not to say the other guys weren't, but um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I had incredible competition every year, but always healthy. You know, like with Anton, he wasn't a guy that felt like he needed to play every single game. I think he kind of understood at a young age that like rest is important and that you can get burnt out and we both had to be really on our game every time we played because we did have a good team and it wasn't just about winning we had to win and play really well to get the next start but our coach really would only play one of us two in a row so you know there was times where like if Anton got a shutout I didn't really feel like I think sometimes when you're in a competition with a guy it's just human nature to be like oh I hope he doesn't do great tonight I never really felt that way with a lot of guys and especially now with Anton because we we knew that if the other guy played one more, it would be right back in there, you know? So mm-hmm. in a lot of the teams that I was on, it was like, like with Grubauer and Hershey, we played so many three and threes that if I was a star at the time, like I might play two out of three in the weekend, but he was going to play a game. So you never were really losing your job. Um, Drew McIntyre, another, so what do you, another name there. But um, So what do you think about coaches these days that employ the old win and you're in? I hate it. That's I, sort of the I, opposite I really, of, yeah. yeah. And we, we kind of had that in Munich, but it, it was – it was a lot healthier it, it, when we play when you play up to three games every time you win. And then there was like a goals against thing. And it was me and Danny Austin Birkin and he was the goalie that won the silver with Germany, another phenomenal goalie. So mm-hmm. there's so much that goes into it. It doesn't make sense to me to say 
in one position in your team that only the results matter, only the team results matter. Like you would never take your number one center and say, Hey, we lost the game. You're on the fourth line. You know, that's right. So, you know, again, like the position itself as goaltenders is so healthy nowadays when you get to the pro level that it's very rare that you find a, you have a goalie at say the AHL that can't play that isn't as maybe there's probably not a big difference in ability or work ethic. Obviously like to me, like who am I playing on Friday night? I'm playing the guy that gives us the best chance to win. And that's, there's a lot of factors that go into that. It shouldn't be the, what the result was the game before. If I have a lazy guy, it's a bad teammate and isn't as good as my starter, but he wins a game. Like, does he deserve to get back in there? I don't think so. But I think it makes a lot more sense that you're seeing more 50, 50 splits at the NHL or 60, 40s. I think it makes more sense that, you're getting guys in there that are more rested. They're not playing guys back to back. I think it takes a little bit of stress off each individual goalie. And but there's so there's so many good guys that you don't need to over, you know, bombard a guy. And, but there are teams that you have absolute workhorses that need to work a lot, and they give your team a better chance to win. So I would rather see a, a, a bigger picture view when you're you're starting your goalies, and also not to play a guy ten in a row because then the, the guy sits there and rots and. It's not good for anybody, but, but yeah, I mean, honestly, we, all, we always talk about the physical side of that and rest, but, but you brought it up right in the beginning when you talked about your, uh, your relationship with other guys and it's a mindset thing as well. It just creates that better mindset environment for both goaltenders. Right. And I mean, I had a year in Rochester where I played 64 in the lockout and for me it was phenomenal because I, I really loved being in there. And, and I, I, mean, I remember one time I got mad that I wasn't playing a game and like I took a deep breath mm-hmm. and I was like, played like the last 10 in a row i mean i really don't like mm-hmm. dave calm down because i had that i had a bit of an edge to me you know but honestly all the guys you mentioned like they just made i think we made each other better and i learned from every single guy like going back to Dobie, like he used to play like uh nabokov you know that was his his mentor what i think when he was with magnitogorsk so i watched him and learn i playing with Jonas Enroth, um smaller guy but like had one his hands were always going forward and two he had the optimal positioning at all times like pucks would just graze off his shoulder and in portland the shot clock guy wasn't that great i mean he probably should have been a 920 instead of a 910 you know like because pucks would, right. pucks would graze off his shoulder he's in perfect position and he wouldn't get credit uh you know groovy i mean you just i think you have to learn from these guys they get habits and and um they definitely helped me quite a bit i mean it definitely hurt me in some areas where you know, Gruby was a super great up-and-coming goalie, and, and I didn't get the call-up, but that's the way it goes, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was – you could see what he was going to be, you know, and um, and look what he's doing now. I mean, he's, he's, he's making an argument for one of the best goalies in the league. Okay, so here we go. November 2nd, 2014. It's the day after, November 1st, that we've coined International Goalie Day, so it's kind of fun that it's that day. Um, take us through what happened when you were with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Let's, let's we got we got to rewind the year before. We're we're playing, okay. I'm playing at Hershey, and um, I don't know who it was in Syracuse. We got to a Syracuse game late, and uh, there was a two on goal when they scored. Two on they scored. Okay. So now we're playing in Hershey, and it was uh, a guy I played with in Bridgeport, Harry Zolnarshek, and I believe Brian Gibbons came in on a two on Both very fast players, and they scored. And I'm like, you know, I, I've had a good success in the shootout uh, statistically. So I'm like, all right, I feel comfortable in the shootout. What's the rule? So I asked the ref that night and he told me. 
And then I asked a di- different ref. And I asked a different ref. I'm like, okay, the rule is to delay a game and a penalty shot. I'm like, I'm 0 for 2 and 2 and 0s. I, I think my save percentage in the shootout the year before was 80, 85, 90, somewhere in there. 90 maybe. I don't even know. But it's not important. I mean, it's, say it's 80. It's a lot better than zero with two on-os. Mm-hmm. Then I go to World Championships, <laughs> and I'm going against Russia, and um, there's a two or three on-o with Ovechkin. I mean, I think that if you're a betting man, you could you could pause that one and throw a couple bucks on Ovi and, and take it out of the score. And they Probably. did. Probably. Yeah. Wasn't going to do it then because I didn't know the rule international. and that, I don't know if I really would have liked my chances when I won with Ovi. So next, <laughs> I kind of just put it in my brain. And then the next year, the way our, our power play breakout was, is a drop pass and the guys were ahead. So I, when, when our guy, Alan Klein, lost the puck, I, I knew that, you know, they had two guys coming. Like, no one's going to catch him. So, I don't know, something in my head clicked and I, and I tossed it off. And uh, I guess I did the old school penalty shot sign. Uh, Marty Brown was saying uh, on TSN, he loved it. It was just the, it was the old school. You called it. Yeah, so yeah. I called it. And um, yeah, he, so he got the penalty shot. I stopped it. And then we wanted to lose the game. And that was kind of like the summary of my season. <laughs> like from there, <laughs> there was just couldn't get a break from the rest of the year on. But um, yeah, so. In, what, was the, what was the reaction of the locker room and, and more importantly from your coach? At first, my coach was just mad about the fact that we were up two one and we're now we're down, I think four one or four three. And right. you know, he was like, Oh, we're not back checking. We're not, we're not our goalie's tossing our net in the corner. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I look over some guys are laughing and I'm like, Oh crap. I hope we win this game. I really do. Cause we were pretty up and down that year. And then we were really down. But so after the game I was stretching and he came over and said, like, Hey, that was actually pretty smart. Like I didn't really real, realize at the time that that was pretty smart. Like, good job. And then, uh, you know, then uh, kind of the firestorm after that ensued, but, um, Germany didn't take it as kindly as uh, as the North Americans. I think. We- yeah. So so fast forward three more years to you're playing for Red Bull in Germany, and uh, another another two on zero. Yeah, another two on zero, and again, I didn't think I would do it. It just you know again you know, and I try to stress this, especially in the German media. And I didn't really talk to anybody until well after the fact, uh, and um, I was just trying to win the game. You know, I just was, I took mm-hmm. a delayed game penalty. It's like in the old days, you should toss the puck over the glass and they made the penalty. You know, I remember in Bantam, mm-hmm. so you should just, oh, you're in trouble, chuck it over the glass. Just don't hit your mom, you know? And, um, <laughs> yeah, and so here we are. Uh, you knock it and, out. And what goalie hasn't knocked the post off before? Well, I yeah. mean, we've all knocked the post off. We've all blown a strap accidentally. Um, yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, I'll knock a water bottle off and that. No, there's so many cameras. You can't yeah. get away with it. You can't eat popcorn when you're sitting and, you know, this, you yeah. can't get away with anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they didn't like it as much. They thought I disrespected the game. They, they, the team we played against Bramer having their assistant coach was chirping me on Twitter. So they, I don't know, I disrespected the sacred game of hockey, something like that. It was actually not funny that I had a season on the injury and against that team later in the year after the Olympics. So they were all, you know, booing me and, and screaming at me when I was late on the ice. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, they didn't take it as kindly. Um, but what are you going to do? You know, I mean, you can't make everybody happy. I don't think any of our fans really cared. I don't, none of my teammates really cared. So, you know, I, it was a little stressful. You know, it was like the Olympic year. I really want to make the Olympic team, obviously. And, you know, I was worried about getting kicked out of the league. So, fortunately, they didn't kick me out of the league. And um, You thought that might happen? Yeah, they were really mad. They were really mad, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's public knowledge that they find me and um Yep, yep. 
you know, I, I really tried to squash everything at the time. I didn't think it was, to be honest, I didn't think it was fair. You know, I, I kind of, and I, I think it hurt my reputation going forward in that league. Um, where I always felt like I was an honest guy, put in an honest day's work and, and was a good teammate and, and worked hard and just tried to win. And even in times when I wasn't playing, you know, I tried to be a good teammate, you know, and I think that in Germany, I kind of got a bad rap because of it. And I, you know, I don't mind that what, when it happened in the American league, I, I, I just thought I was doing something smart and people didn't take it too serious. But in Germany, I, I kind of regret it just because of the, the backlash. I think it, the thing gave me like an unfair, you know, uh, they just, I think people just viewed me differently in, in a way I, I yeah. don't like. So, but nothing to do about it now. That's too bad. Yeah. What are you going to do? No. Got a couple of rules named after you. You got to, got to feel good about that. Yeah. Is it good to be infamous? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't think, I don't think it's infamous in the goalie community anyway. And like I said, we're only talking to goaltenders. Yeah. Here. We're all logical, normal so, people as goalies, right? hundred percent. hundred percent. Very sane. You got any other rules in your back pocket that you might have pulled out at one point if you ever had the opportunity? Something we should be thinking about? No, no, but I do. I really uh, wish that they implemented some pegs in minor hockey, though, because, uh, you know, no kidding. I, I, I watched a few games, some of my students, and, and whether it's on purpose or not, you know, guys try to use the reverse or they just try to recover the post and the posts are going everywhere. You know, I don't know what the answer is, but it'd be nice if they could fix that. Well, there are answers out there sure. better pegs and i mean we saw at the world championships for for women yeah. using inappropriate pegs that were costing goals oh really i saw the uh canadian under 17s play with just bush league minor hockey posts uh it's terrible and you know the one that drives me crazy of course is the referees come up and threaten to give you a penalty the next time it happens as if you're supposed to change how you're taught to play yeah right yeah so it's it's that's yeah. one thing like coach you know like two of the goalies i teach uh, one six seven one's like six five and you know wow does it make any sense for him to vh you know below the hash mark i i, I mean you could but in a lot of situations i say yeah let's reverse they're good they're good at the reverse when we use anchor pegs or whatever and then i mm -hmm. watch him in the game and like the one goal uh they're playing salisbury the one the one goal he went into the post and the post moved and they scored i mean the kid's trying to play d1 hockey and and get and get noticed but he can't play the way he works so hard at, you know? So you hope to find a way. I don't know all the companies that do it. You know, I know there ha has to be safe for the players too. That's definitely super important, but you hope that they find a way to make it universal. You know, they get rid of these like simple pegs that you just pound the ice once and they move everywhere. hundred percent. It's not good for anybody. No. So going back to your Euro career, um, I just doing a little background research and, and, uh, saw that you had a, a pretty horrible concussion uh, while you were over there that you described as sort of life-changing, and that stood out to me. Mm -hmm. um, what was life-changing about it? Because this is something that's obviously in the forefront of conversation now for everybody, and I think goaltenders are more vulnerable than ever. Um, yeah. What happened, and what was the experience like? Well, yeah, so we're, we're uh, two games after the Olympics. I actually came back early because with the success of Germany, uh, we were missing tons of players, including uh, my goalie partner. So played a game in Berlin, then two days later we played in Bremerhaven, and I slid uh, – it, it was like – I probably actually could have shaken my feet, but it was like east-west pass. The guy caught it and tried to reverse his angle. But instead of going like forehand, backhand, he turned his hip, and it caught my head, really turned my neck back. And uh, I, was, I was, like, knocked out quickly, but, like, back to where, like, I kind of, like, zapped out. And then 
felt myself at the ice and I was laying there and I was like kind of not really moving for a second and started to get back and then trainer came out and the, the the doctor from the other team like I said it's a very hostile territory for me because of the not flipping thing they're all cheering and booing right so oh, I, no. I you know I said some not white nice words to the doctor which I probably should say I'm sorry for because he wanted me to leave the game and I was like nah get away from me like I'm gonna hurt you something mm. something that wasn't appropriate so um but in between periods my physio guy it was, it was really late in the period so in between periods our physio was like Dave like we'd already clinched first place like we're in Bramerhaven and like if you're not sure, which I don't think you're sure, and I, I want you to get out of the game. So I was like, all right, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's just – and then after, like, things really started to slow down for me, like, I could tell I wasn't okay. So uh, I went to the hospital, stuff like that. And, you know, I had some mild concussions before, and not that any concussions ever mild. I had some before. And it was like, oh, one or two weeks. And we were going to the playoffs, and we were the number one seed by far, and I was – all right, I'm going to take like some time off and then, you know, start getting back into it and I'll be fine. And I went through what their procedure was at, at the time. And it was off the ice, it was biking, and it was some lifting. And it was, and when I did the on ice, I did a goalie session. Um, I got off the ice and like, I was sick. I was sick. I couldn't really see. Everything was spinning. I had terrible vertigo. Uh, and I mean, I had some problems before, but um, I knew, I knew I was in one, you know, so at that time, uh, we didn't really they don't they don't have quite the same procedures as we do back home. So I was just trying to throw anything I could at the wall and make it stick um, that I was reading about online, and um, I was just going through a lot of tough things. Like I couldn't walk. You know, at the time our son was one and a half or two, couldn't really go walk around the park without getting dizzy and without like feeling sick, a terrible nausea. Um, anxiety like I'd be sitting on the couch and I'll, I'll get this crazy anxiety and I never ever felt anxiety in my life I'm very like easy and going and like like to have fun I mean you get nervous for games and stuff like that but like just some things I never had before and then just like rage like I, I would get angry like at these crazy things like not even with people like I, I mean like like I don't know bump into the wall myself and just like go nuts like you know I didn't wow. never at anybody else but just a lot of like these crazy feelings I never had. So um, after six weeks, I got to go to a clinic there and they concluded that I had a concussion and we did some tests. We sent tests and stuff like that, especially the reaction tests was really, really altered. Um, so when I got, I did a bunch of research and I got home and I'd already had an appointment set up with Dr. Letty, who's a concussion expert. It's at a university of Buffalo. It's literally, uh, you know, a, a three wood away from my house. So, went to see him and, and his big thing is he prescribes exercise so you test on the treadmill and you as your symptoms increase with this exercise and with your heart rate once they increase to a certain point you train under that level so that was step one so like I was training to get 100 beats per minute and then I was seeing a this guy uh, Jake McPherson who was phenomenal he was like a vestibular ocular therapist so just doing a lot of different movements with balls or with you know balance um, cause I'd done, my balance was all messed up. I, my, uh, what's it called? Um, what the vertigo in your ear was all messed up. So like you do, a, mm -hmm. you, but I did this marching test where you close your eyes and you march for 50 paces and you're supposed to be pretty much square to where you were when you start. And the first time I did it, I was like in the corner, um, at like seven o'clock, you know? So 
Mm-hmm. Working on all that stuff, and then I saw an upper cervical chiropractor, a, a very specialized guy in Buffalo named Dr. Jeremy Rademacher, who works with the area between your upper cervical and your and your brain. Um, it's a connective tissue, um, and that was that was uh, you know game changing as well. That really helped just accelerate my progress. So, so I started doing that. I started to gradually feel better. I, I was cleared to skate without like contact in early July, I think it was. So I would go out with one of my students and we'd just do goalie drills and just tell a guy like just stay at me, shoot low. So I was just tracking pucks and that eye movement and all that really helped is supposed to help with the recovery as long as it doesn't, you know, amplify the, um, the symptoms too much. And then I think by the end of the July, early August, I was cleared um, to go full bore because once you get your heart, once you test and your heart rate is, you know, max 170, 180 for me, um, then you're then you're cleared, and I still had some lingering issues, especially as the season went on last year. And I didn't have my upper cervical guy, but um, you know, for the most for the most part, playing wise, it was good. You know, I, I mean, there's certain things about me that maybe aren't perfect. I, I feel like it's just been a little slower climb to get some things 100% back, just on a day to day. You know, with memory or with um, not just little things. It's hard to really describe, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I would say it's just the tip of the iceberg and I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting there, um, with everything. But like I said, I, I, I was clear to play. I felt good enough to play and I felt like I played at a pretty high level last year too. So, you know, I was lucky to have all those guys helping me, but you know, I, I try to tell guys that when they get even the minors of concussions and in, especially in town, just go get checked out test it because I think I think this is just a theory and I'm not a doctor you know I had some concussions in the past that were more neck related I don't think I ever fixed it and I think that right. this was not only from that one incident but it was also like a culmination of some things I had before where I got a concussion in camp Buffalo uh, from a shot to the chin and that was the first time I ever got migraines and you know I don't yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, I don't think that's a coincidence, but I, I, there was not, there wasn't that technology to fix it back then. So I think it just, I never fixed it, you know. So it's tough because we don't have a, a full conclusion of all of the science, and it's going to take time. But, but you know, like I said, it's a treatable injury. I was able to treat it, and I try to tell guys if they get hurt. I'm always reaching out to guys. I had a friend of mine get a concussion early in the year. Like, man, you know, just go see a specialist, do the stuff. A lot of the stuff you have to do at home, anyways fix it like don't let it linger don't just hope and don't go into like a you know don't go into a depression because you never the toughest part about the injury is you just don't know when you're getting better you don't you know you you like you sprain your mcl well four to six weeks okay right. like i'm mentally prepared for four to six weeks i initially thought two weeks and then uh, here i am two months here i'm four months and i'm like you know am i ever gonna be normal again so no i'm rambling on but i don't mind speaking a little further to it because you know, guys go through these and, and people know people that go through this, these things. And unfortunately, like I've seen guys that really go down a, a, dark, a dark path. And, you know, I think it's better that you have you have guys speaking out about it, that it is treatable and that you can get help and, and do so. And if you know somebody that has had that injury, even if it was a year ago or two years ago, you know, it, I mean, just try to let them know that there are people to help because, you know, it, it, Sometimes you think about it like, oh, this, this guy got a concussion a year or two ago and like, oh, he's been acting weird. Well, you know, maybe that's why, maybe not. But, you know, so it's a treatable injury and, and people just have to go seek out the right, the right people to treat it. So glad we can talk about that now and that you're open to talking about it. And 
And in a related way that uh, the game has become more open to talking about mental health issues too. I mean, you alluded to depression setting in for some guys, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with concussions. So I'm, I'm glad the game has evolved. I think that's great for everybody. Yeah. Uh, especially all the kids we have coming up that, that you're working with and others. Yeah. You are not officially retired now, uh, but you are doing some coaching. So, so tell us about your coaching and, and what are you trying to, to bring to the game from your experience? Yeah. Well, I've been coaching for a long time. And initially it was, helping me get through college, you know, financially. And I always loved it. I mean, I coached when I was, you know, midgets of the young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, what I bring to the, I, I just try to, I, I really, especially when I started playing in Europe, like with my business, uh, it just became more of a niche. So I'm trying to work with kids that want to get to the next level. I mean, I'll work with other kids as well. A lot more private settings, two to one, you know, two goalies and, and myself. Uh, um, and um, I just try to help guys, you know, reach their goals you know whether obviously the on ice stuff but you know i'm always open i'm always lending my experiences um i'll try to pass along video if i see something online that relates to the goaltender itself um with some of my athletes especially guys i'm working with this year during the season which is the first time i've had the opportunity to do that because i was always playing we try to watch some video just like you guys have on online uh, with your pro goalies which is awesome um just to go through reads just hey tell me what you saw here like what do you think of this okay, what do you think about trying this? You know, I think that, you know, clinics and all that and camps are great, but when you can really get one-on-one with a goalie, talk about situations, talk about why you do this here, why you don't do this here. And and I always try to encourage dialogue. I, I want to have the, the, the what, the where, and the why answered before, you know, we conclude our conversation. And it's ultimately up to the goaltender, that especially the guys I work with are either, you know, D1 athletes or college athletes are going to go to college. You know, they're good enough for, hey, make your own opinion. Like, I, this is why I think. If you like it, take it in. If you don't, spit it out. It's fine with me. So, yeah, I just love uh, working with the guys I do. Like, they're, I can tell you, every single guy I work with or girl I work with, I work with a lot of girls as well. Like, they all want to mm-hmm. get better, get to the next level and succeed. And, um, you know, I love it. I, I, lo- I love seeing that. It, it reminds me a lot of, of coming up as an athlete. And um, it's been um, it's been a great way to stay a part of the game, you know, while I haven't been playing professionally. So, so I've I've been lucky to have the students I have. It really has been a blessing for me. Well, it sounds like you're bringing um, a whole lot of experience from all the goaltending coaches you've worked with, from all the partners you've worked with over the years, and uh, and able to bring that in your own unique way to to a lot of students. So, if uh, if people want to get in touch with you to uh, work with you, how do they find you? Uh, LegioGoldTang.com. Uh, and then I'm on uh, Twitter. I think LegioGoldTang is the handle, handle there. I, I got a, a, a public Instagram as well. It's just David Legio. It's not our LegioGoldTang. But um, yeah, I, I, and anyone that's listening, if you're a young goalie coming up, feel free to reach out anytime, even if you just want some advice or whatever. You know, that's the great thing about social media where it, it can be a toxic place. It can be a place that is distracting or you see a lot of negative stuff. It could also be a great place to share ideas and, and to uh, connect with some, some, some people that might be able to help you. And, you know, I've been on the other side of that too, where I've reached out to maybe it's a health coach or a trainer and, you know, asked a question about a video they posted and the majority of the guys have always answered me. And I, I feel a duty that if, you know, a young goalie or anybody wants to reach out and ask a question, I'll do my best to answer and try to help guide them along. So um, yeah, I'd be happy to help anyone. That's fantastic, David. I think that's one of the great things that, as well um the negative side of social media i think gets amplified far too much because we've had nothing but positive experiences really i remember when when in goal started 11 years ago now 
just being terrified to make that first publish, hit that button for the first time, wondering what, what would, you know, arise from people's reactions. And yeah, much to my surprise, it's uh, been nothing but positive. So it's great that people like you are out there willing to share. Well, I mean, and thank you for sharing, you know, I, even as a goaltender myself, I mean, I, I love, I love learning about people, learning about goalies, what, you know, trying to steal from them. And, uh, and you guys do an amazing job of, of highlighting that stuff. And especially with your premium content, uh, like I told you, I'll be sure to sign up, check it out. I think you guys do a phenomenal job of, uh, of spreading that information. And it just accelerates the development of the position um, as a whole and, and for individuals that take the time and the care in their game to, to get better. And, and that's a, that's a great way to, to speed up your 10,000 hours. So, so I think uh, the whole goalie community would extend a thank you to you and, and your team as well. Oh, thanks, David. Really appreciate that. Um, well, that was fantastic. I think there's uh, a ton of stuff in there that we would love to peel back more. So I hope this isn't the last time that we talk on Ingoal Radio and and Ingoal Magazine and look forward to, to more of it in the future. Thanks for taking some time today. Oh, thanks for having me. An innovator and a guy that just loves the position and has seen the world through the eyes of the mask, goaltending, loves the game, loves the sport, and I just really enjoyed the way his mind uh, took us through that. Not not only tipping the net off, but uh, so many other parts of that interview. Uh, nice job, Hutch. Uh, great job tracking him down. And uh, and Legio, uh, interesting, he's not retired yet. And and none of the three of us have signed our retirement papers either. No, so, I'm still available uh, if anybody so needs someone. More competition, but uh, it it got us thinking. Um, what? Okay, you guys never did say. First of all, what's the penalty if you knock the net off in, in a situation like that? Now, well, now it depends on the league. Mm-hmm. Okay, they were thick because the the two leagues that he did it in changed the rules differently. Oh, how did they change it? So. And I'm going to get wrong which of the two leagues it was. but uh, <laughs> So one of them simply changed it from uh, the penalty shot alone, and they added in an ejection for the goaltender. So the goaltender simply removed from the game, whereas okay. another one has simply made it an automatic goal. That's where I thought it was. I, yeah, I so just... did I until I actually spoke to David and did a little bit of background research ahead of our conversation. So well, and I want to say it's, I want to say it's in the German league. It's just an ejection, but I, I'm probably going to get it wrong. Well, and in the national hockey league, they went the other way. They adopted the rule and probably a good thing because we've seen a few two on O's already this season. Jacob Markstrom faced a three on O in overtime. It's an automatic goal in the NHL. If you do that, that makes sense to me. I, I love that. He did it. I love the innovation. Genius. I love, I, I really, really, uh, but at the same time, I think the change in the rules is correct as well. Well, yeah. And the, uh, the funny thing is the NHL didn't do it till this summer. Like they, they waited until this summer. And if they hadn't, if they'd waited a little bit longer, we've had a couple of cases this year. Like Connor Hellebuck had a 2 on 0 against the, yes. the... Well, the day we did that interview, funny enough. Yeah. And we've seen yeah. 3 on O's in... Like if you're facing a 3 on 0 in overtime, 3 on 3, and you have the option to turn around, knock your net off, and just have it be a single breakaway... You'd be an idiot not to do it. David Leggio was brilliant mm-hmm. for getting ahead of the curve, and now the leagues have caught up. And so, anybody who criticizes it, I, you can take your spirit of the game and, you know, quite frankly, shove it. Um, he knew the rules; other people didn't. He took advantage of them. Just trying to help whoa, his team win. Whoa, whoa, language here, please. I didn't tell. <laughs> I didn't tell you where they could shove it. I just told you they could shove it. Wow, Woody, getting all 
up in our grill here. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm, just fi- I'm just fired up. I don't know if people are going to realize this. I'm just fired up because I screwed up the recorder and, and I've made our life really miserable on my recording here. So poor Hutch <laughs> is just like, I, I'm going to have to set up brilliant. a bottle of whiskey over to him. Oh, uh, never, the, uh, never, never. Ugh. A case. The, so it's a three. If, it, if it's a three on O and you knock the net off, it's at the discretion of the official to award the automatic goal. No, in the NHL, it's automatic. No, it's a goal. It's a goal. Okay. Okay, so it's not even up to the official whether it's accidental or anything. The goalie knocks their own net off during a breakaway. Oh, or no, multi- no, not automatic. Sorry. Yeah, no, Darren's asking about what if it's accidental. No, that's totally different. Oh, yeah. Like, no. What if I just what if I just lean back while the three on O is coming? And I'm thinking it might be in my best interest to take my chances with the discretion of the official than the, <laughs> than the three on O. There you go, Darren. I'd like to see that. You just, oh, just, you, that. You, you just lean into your left post and like give it a <laughs> yeah. really hard push. And you're like, man, I was just, exactly. I was just like, I was just wanted to make a good push to come out and challenge. What are you talking about? I didn't do it on purpose. Macaulay, come on, let's 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 go. And then then he goes to goes to center ice, and he gives me the emphatic no goal, uh, <laughs> something something like that. Uh, That's awesome. But but this has been around like Legio uh, goes uh, follows in a in a great line of uh, of innovators when it comes to exploiting the rules. And and Roger Nielsen, the late great, uh, had a couple of uh, wonderful ones. You know, when I was a youngster playing hockey in Minden, Ontario. At about age six, Roger Nielsen came to speak to our banquet as the then coach of the Peterborough Peets. And it was just a few years before that, I think it was 1968 when I did a little research, uh, he had employed the tactic of sending a defenseman out on the ice for a penalty shot instead of his goaltender, swapped them out. Um, the, the theory and being... And why would he do that? Yeah. Well, as soon as forward progress stops... Uh, the penalty shot is over. So you send your defenseman out there to charge the oncoming player and get him to either stop or get the puck away from him uh, or whatever. I don't, I don't remember exactly what happened in this case, um, but, but I do know that it succeeded and, and his team ended up uh, uh, losing the game ultimately, but succeeded on the penalty shot. Um, I actually, guys, had a coach when I was playing in high school in Toronto, um, Upper Canada College. I had a coach... When a penalty shot was called against our team, he called me over and he had been a referee in the Ontario Hockey League and he referenced the forward progress um, rule and suggested, told me that he'd seen this in the OHL, uh, that as soon as the forward coming at me touched the puck, that I should race out of my net, throw off my gloves, throw off my helmet and start screaming, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And uh, he said this successfully happened in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, I wouldn't do it. I didn't do it. I, and I got scored on anyway, but yeah. So, so Nielsen and then, uh, my old coach from, from UCC in Toronto. I think I want to, test, I want to test some of the, like, cause you guys love to chirp me about beer league and stuff. I'm going to try some yeah. of these things in beer league. Oh, <laughs> you should. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever had a penalty shot on me in beer league. Except really? one of, no, except, you know, one of those. One of those just sort of pickup games where there's no penalties and everything's a penalty shot, but not not in a refereed game. I don't think so. No, they hand them out like candy in men's league. Huh. Uh, your coach at UCC went on to a uh, sensational National Hockey League career uh, as a coach with that kind of advice. Uh, he did not, but he did inspire me to uh, to a career in computer science. So hats off to oh, him. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, the uh, the stick on a on a empty net. 
was one that I'd heard of from Roger Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, same one, same one. So pull the pull the goaltender in the dying minutes of the game for an extra attacker, and there was nothing saying the goalie couldn't just leave his stick lying along the goal line. I didn't find a a reference for where that one came from, although uh, allegedly. When it did happen, a puck was sent to the other end and did hit the stick, so it prevented a goal, and that's when the rule was changed. So, so that's an automatic goal now too. So, so variation on that we've seen when Ian Clark was the goalie coach in Columbus with Sergei Bobrovsky on two on ones to the blocker side. So, if a lateral two on one feed made Bobrovsky move from his glove to his blocker side, left to right, he would drop his stick in order to free up his blocker hand for an extended save. Because, of course, if you're holding the stick, it's very hard to reach the blocker out and still keep it square. The stick gets in the way. So by dropping the stick, Bobrovsky had quite deliberately practiced all this, dropping the stick and being able to sort of really freely access his blocker hand. And we saw him make some spectacular saves. But one part of the routine that they practiced, and it wasn't just, hey, let's try this, but they practiced it I don't say religiously, but they took time in certain practices to work on it was where and how he dropped the stick as he's making this desperation push. And the theory was drop it facing up ice, middle of the way, sort of between the hash marks or just above the crease as you as you sprawl across, because if that guy has time to catch it, dust it off and go back the other way with the second pass, there's a chance at least it hits your stick and breaks up that second backdoor pass the other way. So um, a, a variation, no rule written to prevent that yet. Uh, probably because we haven't seen many saves made by it. But hey, goalies are always looking for an edge, and there's a prime example. I like that, yeah. From leaving it in the crease to leaving it in the middle of uh, of the ice for a backdoor pass. It's it's smart, right? This is I've innovation. Se- I, I've seen I've seen it work uh, in practice on a breakaway as well. So just drop the stick. horizontally like parallel to the goal line drop the stick in front of you and the player just runs right into it with the with the puck it's not a wow it's actually not a terrible terrible yeah well hey man i'd like i'm gonna i i don't know who started i gotta credit greg maggio magic goaltending his father angelo is a good friend of ours and and greg uh showed it to us one day in practice i saw it work and i've seen it mimic since you'd have to be pretty deliberate though right because you'd like you'd have to really lay it down because anything that could constitute throwing the stick is of course um, drop panel, is different than a throw exactly yeah yeah we can get into uh, semantics people of a certain age will uh will wonder well the sticks i mean the puck's just going to hit the stick and keep going uh because sticks are so light but back when roger came up with this the old uh sherwoods or uh the northland <laughs> sticks uh, were so heavy that it would legitimately stop the puck and they were so thick that it couldn't skip over uh too so there, there was the added advantage of that. I, I'm not sure now uh, with the sticks, if you if you put it down there, this, the puck would hit it and just keep on going. Like, they would just knock everything into the net. Strategy from uh, from a not a better day, but uh, a, a more innovative day. Let's just uh, put it that way, where you had uh, there wasn't cameras and everything around, and you could you could play with these kind of things. Uh, this has been fun. Uh, I liked having Cam back in the show, uh, catching up at the hockey shop. That was uh, that was quite enjoyable, and David Leggio. Was um, I, I look forward to some more collaboration with uh, with Leggio Hutch? Yeah, I, th- I I thought he was a fascinating guy to talk to, and and as Woody pointed out, he's worked with so many goaltending coaches uh, that he's just got this wealth of experience. It's funny, you know. Quite often, we we will say maybe those of us being a little defensive, just because so and so played the game doesn't mean he's going to be a great coach. Um, but the fact is that 
what Legio brings to the table is just those years and years of experience with so many people. So his toolkit is just massive for the the different skills that he's learned over the years. And that's an experience uh, outside the actual gameplay that that just brings so much to the table as a coach. The little bits and pieces that he took from all those goalie coaches and those small sample sizes and you put it into one mixing bowl, you can come up with a pretty fantastic recipe. Oh, we could we could have taken that small part of the interview and spun it into hours of chat about all sorts of things. So, yeah, looking forward to chatting with him again for sure. Hey, make, make no mistake. I made notes as I was listening to it. And like I said, uh, kudos, Hutch. Good job on the interview. Uh, there are several here that I'm like, follow up article, follow up article, yeah. follow yeah. up article. So we will be trying to tap into that that wealth of knowledge because I think there is a lot more detail there that goalies everywhere and anywhere could benefit from from David Leggio. Really enjoyed it. And make sure you check out the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Surrey, the Bauer 2S Pro line uh, that uh, Woody and Cam uh, discussed. Uh, go in uh, onto the website and, uh, and really peruse uh, if you can't get there in person. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity to pick up uh, some solid product uh, at a discounted price. For David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to Ingle Radio, the podcast. With David acting like Goliath and tossing the net off down to just some really solid advice about growing up in the game and what to do if you're a a junior kid or a minor hockey uh, goaltender. It's been a fun program. We'll talk to you next week.